Hi, this is Jessica McCoy with Calvary Christian Center. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you to be everything God has created you to be. We hope you enjoyed this message. Come on, do you love God's Word? I'm excited for what God is going to say. You know, we've been in this series. The church has left the building last week. Pre Pastor preached a message called, There is Another King. And uh, I just believe in this series, I just believe in this campaign that it's more than words. It, it's words that should be put into action. That, that God is calling us and drawing us out of this building to make a difference where we are. Because the truth is, you were designed to make a difference. You should have said amen. I said you were designed to make a difference. Your very design, all the experiences in your life, everything you got or you didn't get, God let it happen or didn't let it happen because you were designed to make a difference somewhere. There are some people I'll never reach, but you are tailor-fitted to reach those people. There, there are some people I'll never touch, but your life is designed to touch the people that I'll never touch. And God wants us to take what's going on in here out of the building. So God has given me a word. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter 2. And I feel like preaching a little bit today. I feel like yelling in your ear what he's been whispering in mine. And I just sensed the presence of the Lord all day. And uh, I came to, to just give and deliver the word of the Lord to you. And uh, while you're turning, let me just say it's an honor to stand in this pulpit. And I thank God for our pastors. I thank God for who they are and what they represent. You, are you thankful for pastors Jim and Don Rayleigh? You thank God for them. Thank God for our staff. I honor our staff. Everything you see that happens just doesn't happen on accident. Success is intentional. You should have said, I said, success is intentional. You don't stumble on excellent, you don't stumble onto excellence by accident. And so I thank God for our staff. And uh, while you're turning, I still hear page flipping. Let me just do something I don't get a whole lot of chance to do. I just want to take a second and honor my wife. Um, yeah. You do a lot behind the scenes that nobody sees, and I just want to honor you. A lot of people see the public ministry, but they don't see the arm that's in my back helping me do what God calls me to do. And by the way, you're a great mama. I was in Australia for 10 days and came back, and my little girl was learning all these new words and doing all these cool little tricks the kids do. And I said, wait a second. Hold on. Don't do it without daddy now. Amen. But I honor you today. I honor you. Thank God for you. And I just believe your best is yet to come. Okay. Let's get to work. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, verses 10 through 12. And this is my assignment today. It's what the word of the Lord would say. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press they uncovered the roof where he was and when they had broken it up they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay and when Jesus saw their faith he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Skip down to verse 10. Jesus would later say, But 
that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. Last verse. And immediately. I like words like that. Because it lets me go, it lets me know that, that God, you can wake up one day with all hell breaking loose, but in one moment. God can turn a situation in one moment. Uh, what you cried over and what you've been teared up, tore up about, God can turn it immediately. God knows how to shift your life and shift your family and shift your marriage. God can do it immediately and immediately and immediately. He arose and took up his bed and went forth before them insomuch that they were all amazed and all of them glorified God. Watch this saying, we have never seen it like this before I came to preach a message for all y'all looking for a title to take some notes today I came to preach a message when Jesus gets in the house subtitle the church leaves the building I'm gonna say that one more time when Jesus gets in the house the church leaves the building are you ready to help me preach this thing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what I feel. I know it's not about feeling, but I'm thankful you can be felt. Open our ears, Lord, not just to listen to this word, but to hear this word. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today and will give you praise in Jesus' name. If you believe it, somebody shout amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. If there's anything I believe that you have to come into an understanding of as you embrace faith at a foundational level is that there are certain theological constructs you must come into agreement with to make progress in your walk with God. First and foremost, the foundational part of your faith as you come into embracing God and his son Jesus as a believer is that you must first agree with the fact that God is a living God. Oh, you should have gave me an amen on that one right there. I said God is a living God. He, he's not a dead God. He's not an idol, nor is he idol. You won't find him posted up between two candles at a cathedral, nor some figurine at the end of a buffet somewhere. God is indeed alive. Oh, I'm thankful in this room that I don't serve some dead God or some dry idol. I'm glad that God is still living, breathing, moving, and active on my behalf. I wonder if there's anybody thankful that he is alive I'm thankful that he's living see see they put other prophets in the grave and the prophets are still in the grave they put Buddha in the grave and he's still in the grave they put Krishna in the grave and he's still in the grave they put Muhammad in the tomb and he's still in the tomb but I got good news for somebody today they put Jesus in the grave and three days later he got back up again because he's not some dead God he is a living God and if it's your God God, you ought to make some noise for him right now. And if he's not dead, your prayer life shouldn't be dead. If he's not dead, your worship shouldn't be dead. If he's not dead, your pursuit shouldn't be dead. But if he is alive, everything I do in the house of God and outside of the house of God ought to be an accurate reflection of the God who is alive. 
If you wonder why I worship like I worship, I'm just trying to show everybody else that God is who he says he is. I'm not trying to impress you or get you to like me. My worship is me reflecting the very nature of God. So if I jump a little bit and I dance a little bit, don't be afraid. I'm just trying to tell you that God is still alive. Because if he, oh, I feel the anointing. Because if he's still alive, he can still heal bodies. If he's still alive, he can still renew minds. If he's still alive, he can still touch your marriage. If he's still alive, he can touch your soul. I wonder if there's anybody that can give God one more praise because you're thankful he is indeed alive. You do know that's part of your responsibility to be an accurate reflection of the God you serve because they can't see your God, but they can see your worship. They can't see your God, but they can see how you respond to him when he comes upon you. God is a living God, but the consequence of that theological construct is deeper than the fact that he's just living. Because if he's living, he must be moving. Oh, that was good news for somebody. I'm thankful that he's mobile. I'm thankful that if I, because there were some places in some parts of my life where I couldn't get to him. Oh, where the real people are in the room that know that you haven't always been in the right position to get to Jesus and make it right and you were in some stuff that had you bound and had you stuck and you couldn't get out of but aren't you thankful for his mobility that when you couldn't get to Jesus, Jesus came to you? Aren't you thankful that when you couldn't get to God, God could get to you and that's why I praise him like I praise him and that's why I shout like I shout because I know if he had not been a moving God, I would still be stuck. I would still be a mess. I would still be down and out. But praise be to God who knows where I am and knows how to come get me when I'm in trouble. You do know he's never stopped moving. All the way through scripture, he has never stopped moving. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep and moved on the face of the deep. If he's water, he's living water. If he's wind, he's a mighty rushing wind. All the way to the book of Revelation when he says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because this is not some mere God amongst other gods. This is the God above every God who is living, active, breathing, and moving on your behalf. God is a living God and a moving God, which explains the ministry of Jesus. Because the ministry of Jesus on earth was a mobile ministry. No headquarters. Then never set up shop, always on the go, because there was somebody he was always trying to reach, <laughs> something he was always trying to change, never content with one city not being, oh, not knowing his name, not content with one person staying bound. And I wonder if Jesus' ministry was mobile, why isn't yours? If his ministry was active, why is yours so dormant? Because the truth in this room is you were called to action. You were called to go. Somewhere along the way in the body of Christ, we have forgotten that the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. 
That, that Jesus said, go into all the world. Go is not a suggestion. It's a command. He expects you to get out there. He didn't save you just to come in here and get blessed. He didn't save you just to come in here and get a nice little sermon and feel better. Do you not know? He didn't bring you in this room to get entertained. He brought you in this room to get equipped. Some of y'all way too quiet on me this morning. I said, you didn't come in this room to see your favorite singer or your favorite preacher or to hear your song sang. You came in here because God had to get something in your life so that you could get outside of this building and make a difference for the kingdom of God. The kingdom suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. We have settled for being entertained when we are called to be equipped. We are cool with the coming. We are mediocre with the going. The Great Commission is a co-mission. This ain't even in my notes. I feel this in my spirit. It's a co-mission. Co, you are joined to somebody else's mission to make this mission happen. Well, whose mission? Jesus. Because that's why, oh, y'all ain't ready for me this morning. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. He said, I did my part. That's why when you start your part, you always have to touch the cross before you go into the world. Oh, I feel like, I feel, I feel a fight coming on me. I feel like messing you up to the point where you have to do something with what's on the inside of you. Enough of this coming and sitting and not doing anything for the kingdom. The devil is a liar. I came to provoke you to action. I came to move you into what God has called you to do. You are more than just some member at a church, some congregant. You are a soldier in the army of God, primed in position to fight and to win. God is a living God, moving God. The ministry of Jesus was a mobile ministry. If Jesus ever got in your city, your city was never the same. If he ever walked in your city, everything got flipped upside down. Whole social systems and structures flipped on their head just by his feet walking on that very soil. When Jesus got in a city, the deaf heard again. The, the blind saw again. The lame walked again. When Jesus got in a city, those who were possessed and oppressed came out free up under the power of who he was. And the beauty of that is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. Do you know how afraid hell is of you? Do you understand how demons don't want to be around you? Do you understand that every time you get around with this kind of power, diseases start trying to hit the door and demons start running because they know this power is the power that brings the change that the world has been waiting to see? Jesus got into a city, everything shifted, everything moved. I wonder, where have we lost this kind of power? The kind of power that when you show up, atmospheres move. Oh, see, nobody preaches on this anymore. I can remember, used to get around people, stop cussing. Yeah, I remember showing up, showing up at a party, show up at a party to support somebody, and they put the alcohol away. Oh no, preachers here, we can't be like that. But you know what? It's because we were never designed to be ruled, we were designed to rule. 
God has called us to shift atmospheres. When Jesus got into a city, atmospheres shifted. Things changed. Everything moved. It was mobile. It was powerful. That's why I wanted to bring this text before you. Because when this text opens, it opens on the detail that Jesus has come to a city. But it's not his first time in the city. The Bible says he has come to Capernaum again. Which means that Capernaum was not a place of visitation. Capernaum was a place of habitation. Because that's the goal, is that God wants to not visit you. He wants to come and stay on the inside of you. The goal is not to come touch you and leave you. The goal was to come encounter you and you and him be entwined. That wherever you go, he goes. And wherever he wants to go, you go. It's a relationship, baby, that takes me into all the world and makes a difference. He came to Capernaum again. He crossed the line. Capernaum crossed the line from being a place of visitation to a place of habitation. And I know what some of you are trying to ask me. How do you cross the line? And you cross the line from visitation to habitation when you move from preference into presence. Sometimes the only thing holding back a move of God in your life is your opinion. Praise Pastor Joe. That was praise God. That was good. I like that. Do, do you not know that your opinion can keep you out of miracles? Do, do you know that what you think about it can stop how he wants to do it? Are you flexible enough in your walk with God that however he wants to do it, he can do it? Because, because the moment you become, watch this, presence-driven, you will become pursuit-oriented. I have never met somebody obsessed with the present, presence of God that wasn't pursuit-oriented. I've never met somebody obsessed with presence that wasn't obsessed with pursuit. Because here's the benefit of being pursuit-driven, is when you're pursuit-driven, your awareness is awakened. Let me put that in your world. He's easy to see when he's all you're looking for. He's easy to feel when that's all you're feeling for. He, he's easy to know when that's all you're trying to understand. That's why in this room this morning, you've got to be the kind of person that is aware. And I know that sometimes if you live life long enough, you can have some weeks where you don't feel it. That's why I watch who I sit next to in church. Because the truth is, if I don't know where he is, I got to be around somebody who does. And that's why I love sitting next to worshipers because worshipers are acquainted with the presence of the Lord. And that's why in this room, you can't hold back your praise and you can't hold back your worship because there might be somebody on your row sitting back saying, I haven't felt him all week. I don't know where he is, but wait a second. Oh, wait a second. You just lifted your hands and you just jumped a little bit. Maybe he's over there. And I, I want to give everybody in this room permission for about 10 seconds to lose your mind in praise so that somebody in your section and somebody in your row might figure out where Jesus is. Oh, don't stop now. Somebody in this room has been waiting on that praise all service long, trying to figure out where he is in the room. Be seated. Be seated. Be seated. 
I feel something breaking loose right there on that. Somebody in this room was waiting to see where's Jesus. That praise just unlocked the door for somebody in your section to know that it's real and that God is for them. Hallelujah. Somebody in the city who was presence-driven and pursuit-oriented had the awareness awakened to see him when he showed up again. I want to thank God for this person because in the text, they don't have a name. But I still have to thank God for them because even though they don't have a name, it didn't stop them from making some noise. Because that's your expectation from God on your life is that whatever I do to you, I need you to be noisy about what I've done. Oh, see, you were too quiet right there. That, that, that's why we can't be bashful as believers. We can't be timid as those who have faith because sometimes people are looking at our lives wondering, is, can it still be done? But I've got good news. If God did it to you, the only reason he did it to you is because he wanted to do it through you to somebody else. In other words, if God healed your body, it's because he wants to use your hands to heal somebody else's. If he delivers somebody, he wants to use your hands to bring deliverance to somebody else. Somebody ought to give him praise because you didn't even know it, but your hands are the next hands he's about to use to do a miracle. So if my noise offends you, I'm not apologizing. Because it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. Not only am I thankful that this person was noisy, I'm thankful that this person was noisy to people. They just weren't out there just making noise. They were making the kind of noise that made everybody else want to see what was going on. Because the truth is, the truth is, that person didn't have a name. But just because their name wasn't mentioned, it didn't stop them from lifting up the real name that mattered. Because you have to be okay as a believer if they never know your name, but they know his. Can I tell you the success of this sermon this morning is not if you know my name. The success of this message is not if you know who I am. The success of this message is knowing who he is and what he can do. And guess what, baby? I'm cool. If you never follow me on Instagram, I'm all right. If you never join me on Facebook, I'm cool. If you never get on there on Twitter and follow what I'm doing on Twitter. But if you walk out this room knowing Jesus like you've never known Jesus before, that was the goal, baby. That was the mission is to know him like you've never known him before and the Bible says it was noised abroad that he was in the house oh can you imagine that church service I mean the Bible says that he got in the house and immediately the house got full no, 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 not next week, not six months. There wasn't no strategy or growth plan. He just got Jesus, and Jesus was enough. Oh, you think I'm talking about church? Because long before he gets in these houses, he gets in. Because anytime God wants to flip a city, he gets in a house. 
And when, that ha when he gets in a house, that house gets full. In other words, you can't tell me that you have a relationship with God and not be full of the right things. You can't tell me you serve this Jesus and you don't have joy and you ain't got peace and you ain't got hope because if you let that Jesus get in your house, he will revolutionize your house and change your life in a way you've never seen it been changed before. And by the way, can we really call it, can we really call it conversion if there's never been a change? I gave the people in Australia some American money, and they converted it. And what I got back is not what I gave. They changed the money. That's why we give him our life, so that he can so there can be an exchange. The old man is dead and the new man is alive. I am not who I used to be. Don't get it twisted. I may look the same. I might have the same haircut, but baby, there is something on the inside of me. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't act like I used to act. I am changed. All the changed people ought to give God some praise right now. The Bible says that immediately he got in the house and that house got full. Full. That's how you're supposed to live. Full. Away with this mentality that you always got to live on empty. You can't, you can't live in survival mode and call it, call it abundant life. He said, I got in the house. The house got full. He said, all of a sudden, so full, he said that you couldn't tell where the door started and the people ended. Because it let me know what a, when a real move of God comes into a city, it tears down barriers and it removes limitations. When a real move of God hits a city, it ain't a black thing. It ain't a white thing. It ain't a Hispanic thing. It ain't a rich thing. It ain't a poor thing. It ain't a house thing. It ain't a homeless thing. When a real move of God hits a city, we don't care what you look like or where you've come from or who your daddy is or what you didn't get or did get. Let me tell you in this room, when a real move of God comes, there's room enough for everybody to come up under the roof of this house and experience the presence of the Lord. Take that devil. Take that racism. Take that hatred. The devil is a liar. How can you have him in your heart and still hate somebody? How can you claim to have him as the sinner and still spew hatred from your mouth? Because the last time I read my Bible, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if he is in the center of the house, then my mouth is a reflection of what lives in my heart. Oh, I came for a fight today. I came to let that little racism devil know your time is up. I came to let all that mess happening in our nation know that the time is up because Jesus is about to get in this house and this house and this house and this city. If you believe it, somebody ought to give God praise like you've lost your mind. The text said that he filled the house and the house is full. 
limitations removed, barriers are being broken down, and Jesus sits amongst them. You still okay? Can I go deeper? And he sits down amongst them, and the Bible says, he said, now that we all together, the place is packed, I'm in the room, let me show you what matters the most. And he preached them the word. No, no, the word, preaching the word. No, no, really think about that. Because he didn't have a sermon. He was the sermon. That should encourage every single person in this room that says, I can't preach. Let me tell you, sometimes you're not called to preach with your mouth. You're called to preach with your life. Sometimes, oh, sometimes you're called to walk this thing in such a way that just you walking it out is what makes people go, wait a second, there is a God. Wait a second, I can find faith. Wait a second, wait a second, where are the believers that know how to live it even when you don't know how you might say it? And he preached them the word, the word preaching the word, the word telling everybody else around him what really matters. Because the truth is there is preeminence upon, uh, on the word of God. Do you know how blessed you are right now to be sitting under the word of God? Or do I have to take you to China or Iraq where they fight over Bibles? and rewrite their own so they can pass it along. Do I, do I have to, you do know that James says that it's the engrafted word that has the power to save your soul. The engrafted word that sticks is the one that saves your soul. The power of the word of God. He preached them the word, the word had power. So much power that he said, I even elevated above my name. But the problem is, is when we don't value the word and we don't get preeminence to the word of God in our life, there is a consequence that comes to people that will hold them back from progress in God because when you don't elevate the word, you will end up worshiping worship. No, no, don't hear me wrong. We need worship. Oh, yes, we do because he comes. Oh, in worship. We need worship. You have to have it. But preeminence is not on the worship. Preeminence is upon the word. Because here's the problem. The minute you worship worship, you become the soul generation. The one that soothes their demons but never casts them out. Is this too heavy today? Pastor will be back next week. I'm sorry. Because the preeminence of the Word of God is there. Let me just put it like this. If you know more Hillsong than you do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you might be worshiping worship. Because when the enemy of your soul comes to take you down and comes to take you out, you can't reach back and grab a lyric. you got to reach down in your belly and grab a word and say, Thus saith the Lord against that thing. And the enemy does not fall because of how much you sing. He falls because of how much word you know. And he preached them the word. Can you imagine that service? Now that's good church. I mean, the house is full. Jesus is there. And on top of that, Jesus kicked the preacher out and said, I'm preaching today. That's good church. But I wanted to show you the prerequisite. Because long before the church can ever leave the building, Jesus has to get in the house. 
the events that set off leaving the building are contingent upon him getting in the house. There is no way he can get in the house and you stay in the building. How do you know that, Pastor Josh? Because in one moment, the text takes a shift. Letting us know that amongst all the pomp and circumstance of the service, letting us know for all the greatness that was happening on the inside, that there was still somebody on the outside that could hear the service but couldn't come to the service because their circumstance wouldn't allow them. Because the truth is, even while I'm preaching right now, there are people all over this city and all around your neighborhood and all on your job that are sitting there saying the same thing. I need to be there, but I can't get there because I'm sick with palsy. I'm sick with palsy. To be sick with palsy in the Bible, but palsy was a catch-all term for many different diseases, many different kinds, but namely there were two distinct types of palsy. The first type of palsy was paralyzation. In other words, watch this, watch this. This man couldn't get to it because he was stuck. Oh, I feel God. Do you not know that there are people who want to be here but can't get here because they're stuck in what? Stuck in an addiction. Stuck in a tragedy. Stuck in what somebody said. Stuck in what somebody did. Stuck in how they were treated. Stuck in what somebody did 10 years ago. They're up under the weight, pinned down by what they've been through, and they're sick with palsy. I want to move, but I can't move. I'm sick with palsy. The other type of palsy wouldn't be if you were paralyzed. It meant the other type of palsy that was a main type of palsy in Bible days meant that 99% of you was okay, but you did have one thing, part of you, that was out of control. How many know that you can live here too? Have 99% have of your life together and have one thing that is in rebellion. Oh to the rest of you, that no matter how many times you try to get free, you can't get free because it's out of control. I don't want to watch it, but I keep watching it because I'm sick with palsy. I don't want to drink it, but I keep drinking it because I'm sick with palsy. I'm trying to control it, but I can't control it. I'm in rebellion and I'm sick. Some of your neighbors aren't atheists. They're just sick with palsy. Some of your coworkers don't really feel that way. They're just sick with palsy. And I came today to come find some people, you feel God? Who can hear their screams because they all say the same thing. Can somebody, anybody, get me to Jesus? All across this city, 
all across this region. I can hear them in my spirit. They all say the same thing. They all sound the same. Can somebody somewhere get me to Jesus? I can't get there on my own. And if I stay here, I might die. But is there anybody that can hear my scream? Can somebody get me to Jesus? This paralyzed man, you can play softly. This paralyzed man is on the outside, not in the building, waiting for somebody to get a burden beyond themselves. It's a tragedy that the only reason we come to church is to be blessed. But when's the last time you came to church to be burdened? When's the last time you came in this room and said, God, let me see somebody's face I'm supposed to minister to. God, save my husband. God, save my kids. God, can somebody give me a Jesus? And the Bible says they came bringing the paralytic. And when I read it, I got really confused because the text says that he is born of four. Can I finish this message? He is born of four. I used to think that that meant there were four brothers in him. But when you study the etymology of that, you will understand that born of four, the phrase born of four means that there are three brothers and he is the fourth. And based upon that situation, circumstances, you cannot bring the man. Why? Because there are four corners on a bed and only three brothers. That means somebody, help me do it, Holy Ghost. Somebody outside of the family decided they were going to sit down in a situation that was uncomfortable to them and inconvenient to them. Somebody made up their mind that, you know what, you don't have somebody to bring you. But listen, I don't know you like that, and we may have never met like that. But listen, I'm about to put my hand on where you've been hurting, and I'm not going to let you lay here another day. I'm going to reach down in your life, and I'm going to pick you up so you can get to Jesus. Hear me, anytime someone invites you into their problem, it's only because they see you as part of the solution. There is a reason that they keep coming to your desk. There's a reason they keep texting you and calling you because somewhere in you, they see the answer. And maybe if they can get to you, they can get to Jesus. And the Bible says they came bringing him somebody who wasn't part of the family, decided they were going to be part of the solution because that's where real ministry is. Some of us only minister to people that we feel comfortable ministering to. Oh, it got quiet. Some of us only participate in things that are predictable. But let me tell you, when you walk with God, God will take you to people who are unpredictable. He'll take you to situations. That's why you need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Because the anointing will teach you all things the Bible says. When you've got the real anointing, you can go anywhere. And God can use you with anybody or anything. But the Bible says that they brought him. And I thought about it. This man 
that joined the party isn't the fourth man. He's really the fifth man. One, two, three, four, five. Wait a second. Five is a powerful number in the Bible. Five is the number of grace. Meaning that when this man showed up, grace showed up. Oh, you know five. You know five. One, two, three, four, five. Five days of creation before God put man in the earth to let him know he would step into a completed work, the grace of God. Oh, one, two, three, four, five. Five books in the Pentateuch that happened as the law to show us that there would be law, but after law there would come grace. One, two, three, four, five. Five porches at the porch at the at the pool of Salome that got a man to his miracle via the grace of God being extended in his direction. One, two, three, four, five. Five pints of blood released. From Jesus Christ's body from five different wounds. Why? To let us know that as the blood came out, grace would restore mankind back to God himself. One, two, three, four, five. The apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the fivefold ministry gift that lets the devil know that every time he tried to bring condemnation, men and women would rise up in the grace and power of God to set a generation free. One, two, three, four, five. Five fingers on your hand that every time the devil would try to get in your face, you could tell him, talk to the hand because the grace of God has changed my life. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody, but where would we be had it not been the grace of God? What would you be in had grace not shown up on the scene? Every time the enemy brings up your past, just look at him and say, one, two, three, four, five. It's in the room now. It's in the room now. And grace picks him up. And grace walks him too. Because the real grace of God doesn't let you stay in what you got caught in. Grace comes and lifts you and moves you towards where the presence of the Lord is. And grace, they came by grace. I'm done. They came by grace. They came by grace. By grace, by grace, they got to the house by grace. You only got to him by grace. Woo, that, make, that makes me want to praise the Lord because the only way I could have got to him was the grace. But you would think when they got to the house after leaving the building, you would think that they would have made way, let him through. But instead they are met not by obstruction, hear me, they are met by the opposition of people. The only thing blocking the man from getting in was people, because let me tell you how the enemy really works. When he wants to stop you from making a difference and stop the advancement of the kingdom, he is not sending something, he is going to send someone. Because let's be honest, disease will drive you to the presence of the Lord. Oh, come on somebody. Issues will drive you to God, but if he wants to deflect and diverge your attention and your affection, he will not send something, he will send somebody. But I love it because just when grace took its final step and it looks like the story is over, the Bible said these boys said, we didn't bring you this far. We didn't go out the building and get you for you not to get a miracle. So when grace took its final step, faith kicked in. Because when we're saved, we're saved by grace through faith. 
because this is what I know about faith. Faith finds a way. That it might be blocked on this dimension, but what is it about faith that lifts your perspective and says we might be blocked here, but there is a roof there because faith finds a way. And they took the man up on the roof by faith. And they, you would have thought they got him up there. There would have been a chimney or a skylight or something. But there they are again, so close, but so far away. Wouldn't it be a tragedy during this campaign to get people this close, but never all the way in? Wouldn't it be a tragedy for us to give you cards and give you opportunities that would get people close, but yet you never put in the effort to get them all the way in? Oh, look how quiet it just got. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be dangerous for us to initiate this soul-winning campaign across this church, all of our campuses, and we got people that close, close enough to hear him but not experience him, close enough to hear him but not feel him, close enough to hear him but not encounter him. And these boys said, we didn't bring you by grace and faith for you to be denied right here. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to put the extra effort in and we're going to tear the roof off this thing so that you can get a miracle. Because when it comes to evangelism, that's what it is. It's whatever it takes to see somebody saved. If you ever go into evangelism with every, any other mindset, you will miss out on souls because the truth is all you need is a chance. A chance they might get saved, a chance they might get healed, a chance they could be delivered. And if there's any chance that they could be saved, it's worth ripping the roof off. It's worth doing the work. It's worth moving the effort to get them to Jesus. So I guess what he's asking as you stand to your feet, it's the first time you would hear the phrase raising the roof. No, 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 not R-A-I-S-E, R-A-Z-E. Raise in that context means to tear down. And we need some people in this campaign that are gonna raise the roof. Because it matters. Because people are dear and near to God's heart. Because only by the grace of God have you already made it in. And when did we lose the idea that it was if it was good enough for us, it wasn't good enough for anybody else. The devil is a liar. If we have received it, we've got to give it to somebody else or else this gospel is null and void. Because he said, whosoever will, let him come. And I close with this. They tear the roof off. Jesus gets in the house, the church leaves the building, brings the man back, they drop him down on his bed, and Jesus looks at him and says, your sins be forgiven. But just so you know, I can do other stuff too. He looked at the man sick of palsy and said this, take up your bed and go to your house. Wait a second, don't miss it. Take up your bed. Why do you say take up your bed? Because wherever you lay is where you live. But he was trying to tell him that this, that this is not just a one-time experience. 
this is an ongoing cycle. Because if, I'm got, if I healed you in this house, guess what? The church has to leave the building all over again. Go to your house because guess what? I'm coming there next. And guess what? I'll heal somebody there too. And then the church has to leave the building again. That's the cycle. If he did it for you, you have a responsibility that if he ever got in the house, the church has to leave the building and go make a difference. This campaign is serious. This campaign is heaven's heart for this region. And you have to take it serious because if we do, we'll revolutionize this region by the power of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I pray today that you have heard the burden of the Lord. I pray today that you've heard the voice of God speak. I pray today that you don't see this as some campaign to try to get people here, but rather it is a campaign to win souls and do the work of the kingdom. I pray you resource yourself. I pray you see yourself able, and I'm about to pray over you. I'm going to pray strength and courage. In fact, why don't you just reach over and put your hand on your neighbor's shoulder? This is how we're going to end this thing. I hear you, Holy Ghost. I want you to take while I pray, and I want you to pray for your neighbor. I want you to pray strength and courage to go do this work, to go take what you've been equipped with today and go change somebody's life. Enough with sitting. Enough with coming. We ought to be going and making a difference. Are you ready to help me pray? Come on, begin to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for coming in this house. But God, I pray that there was a burden released on every mama and every daddy, every man, every woman, every young person, every leader, every layman. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would catch the burden, Lord, that you are weeping over lost souls, that your heart is burdened towards the lost. And God, I pray that as you put tools in our hands, give us courage, give us strength to do the work of the ministry, Lord, to please your heart, God. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody shout amen now before you leave look up here at me one last thing please please hear this one final thing before you go one day we are all going to stand before God and we're all going to give an account not for just what we did with his son but for the life we lived here on earth I never wanted to be said of me that I could have done more I want to win as many people as I can. If he gave his life for me, surely I can give my life for him. How many believe we're going to change this region? Because when Jesus gets in the house, the church leaves the building. If you would like to be a part of what God is doing here at Calvary, you can give online at calvaryofl.com or you can use our app. We hope this message encouraged you to experience the Spirit, embrace the lost, and live the life. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you soon.